Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It's a dangerous misconception that we have to have it all together before we can help anyone else, or that we have to love ourselves before we can love others. It is in helping and in loving that we learn to help and love. Human beings in all our imperfection can do a world of good long before we are spiritually realized. Along the way from here to there are 10,000 opportunities to grow our souls. I was completely taken with last Sunday's New York Times story about prison inmates who are training service dogs to assist people with disabilities including returning veterans. The program is called Puppies Behind Bars. Based on a similar program in a Midwestern prison, it was started in Manhattan by Gloria Gilbert Stoga. Recognizing that prisoners have time on their hands, she believed that puppy training could give prisoners something to focus on outside themselves, increasing their self-esteem and giving them a source of unconditional love. Prisoners, she said, have an obligation to repay society. What better way than to help vets? Lori Kellogg is a 43-year-old who is serving 25 years to life for murdering her husband, whom she says abused her for years. She trained an adorable yellow lab named Pax, the Latin word for peace, who is now helping an Iraq vet named Bill Campbell. Bill was injured in 2004 when a car bomb exploded near his base in Baghdad. In February this year, Pax came to help. In a video, Bill appears mentally fragile and unbearably tender. His post-traumatic stress is profound. He says that he awakens screaming from nightmares. The difference now is that Pax is there to show him there's nothing to fear. For a long time, Bill couldn't leave the house. Now he has no choice. Pax needs to go out. And Bill is getting over his fear of being outside. And Pax attracts people's attention. It's a good thing that I talk to people, says Bill, even though I don't want to talk to people. In the grocery store, a man asks Bill about Pax's jacket. He's a psychological service dog, Bill answers. A dog stands between Bill's utter despair and his ability to re-enter society and begin to really live again. Soldiers are emotionally wounded and inmates are emotionally wounded. As a survivor of domestic violence, Lori Kellogg, Pax's trainer, also suffers from PTSD. I never met Bill Campbell, she says, but I feel a connection to him. 
I can identify with some of the things that he has to deal with on a daily basis. She talks about raising packs. What I've done is put a year of love into this puppy who will in turn give a lifetime of love to Bill. Pax made me feel normal and alive again. He gave me freedom inside, she continues, gesturing to her heart and to her mind. Bill's still in a type of prison. I'm hoping he can give Bill freedom within his prison and maybe help him find a way out of his prison. From the Gospel according to Matthew, this is Jesus answering the lawyer's question, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Good people are good at the love thy neighbor part. Surprisingly, good people are not always so good at those two little words at the end, as thyself. Love thy neighbor as thyself means that every one of us gets included in the love equation. No one is excluded. When I was in divinity school, there were long debates about whether or not this implied that we had to love ourselves first before we could love others. I argued a passionate no, just as we learn about helping by helping. We can learn to love ourselves by practicing on others. If we don't believe this, I told my classmates, we may spend a lifetime trying to get it right, this helping thing, this self-love thing. But by the time we arrive, if we ever do, it will be too late. The world can't wait. We can choose to believe that we learn to help, learn to love by helping and loving. At the very end of their beautiful anointed book, How Can I Help? Ram Dass and Paul Gorman tell a true story about Project Return. Here's the voice of the program director. What's going on at this moment, as you can see, is what you might call bilingual bingo. Sometimes it'll take five minutes for a single number to get around the room because of the different languages some of the elderly people speak and some folks are a little deaf or distracted or confused or two ladies are into an argument. This one is always cheating. Three people yelling bingo when we haven't even pulled enough numbers for it yet. It's insane. It's just great. And don't tell me this isn't how the whole world is running, by the way. I see this as an average situation. So these boys moving around like waiters at a fancy restaurant, flirting up these old ladies, putting on their sweaters, reminding them of their numbers. These guys were heavy. Years of crime, dope, doing time. They're in a program called Prodigal, last shot for rehabilitation. Miss this one, you're done. No more programs. And I bring them over here to the Senior Citizen Center to give them a chance to make that last step home by looking out for someone besides themselves. Because maybe this center's a last shot for some of the old folks, too. Last shot for companionship. Last shot before dying alone. Both groups on the edge. Why not bring them together?
Here's the voice of one of the elders. I come to the center for company, I suppose, older women like myself, but I meet these boys here, very interesting, very different from what I expected. This young man who walks me home, he's a very nice boy. His mother, she should be proud of how he acts with me. I know he's done wrong. Who knows what happened when he was very young? Who knows? This boy helps me with my groceries. He says, wear lipstick, a nice dress. You're very pretty. You should get married again, a nice lady like you. That man in the center, he wants to get married again. He's not good enough for me, I say. You're right, he says, marry me. You're good enough, I say, but an old lady and a young criminal, what would they think? I don't know what he sees in me to be so nice. All I know, he walks me home. We talk and joke, and I don't get the feeling that I'm just a little old lady. You think that's nothing? You know how many other people I don't feel like a little old lady with? None. Nobody. That's true. And here's the voice of the young man. Try to shake having been a junkie and done time, man. Everywhere you go, you get that. That's who you are. But this woman, it's like she doesn't care. I told her how I robbed things. I told her about jail. She says, your mother must have been very upset. Let's get groceries. <laughs> Nobody ever treated me like I had anything to give, just to take. So that's all I ever did, take. Never knew my folks. Started in when I was nine, four juvenile institutions, two escape, on the street at 12, dealt heroin, burglary. By 14, I had my own car and apartment, got caught, did a three-year bid in prison. This woman, she shows me something. I ask her questions. I'm curious. She's interesting. We learn things together just looking around on the street. We have a good time. And I've done a lot of time. Old people, I understand their situation a little. They're scared. I've been scared. They live alone, like in a cell. I lived alone in a cell. This woman, I'm not who I always thought I was being with her, just walking her home. Her too, probably. It's like you're free for that period. I've done enough time. I've done enough taking. Time to be free. It's an extreme case, but so clear in its extremity. Is there any chance that this young man could have helped himself without learning from his elderly lady friend how to help? I say not. Is there any chance that he was going to love himself first before he learned to care about her? No again. And could he have even begun to forgive his past and forgive himself without her forgiveness and a second chance? How could he even have known how to begin? Once we are convinced of this, we won't hesitate to try to help, won't hesitate to love in the best ways we know how. And in the process, there's that mysterious, miraculous bonus. We grow our 
souls. Here is a blessing from poet Adrian Rich's Transcendental Etude. No one ever told us that we had to study our lives, make of our lives a study as if learning natural history or music, that we should begin with the simple exercises first and slowly go on trying the hard ones, practicing till strength and accuracy became one with the daring to leap into transcendence, take the chance of breaking down in the wild arpeggio or faulting the full sentence of the fugue. And in fact, we can't live like that. We take on everything at once before we've even begun to read or mark time. We're forced to begin in the midst of the hardest movement, the one already sounding as we are born. My spiritual companions, let's not think for a moment that we have to love ourselves before we love. Love itself is the teacher, and to love is the best lesson. As we give and love with open minds, open hearts, and open hands, we will know the gifts of generosity and love. Amen. <laughs>